come to the close of a, another year, and we tomorrow begin a new year, uh, would like to think about the theme about how that the Lord provides, how that the Lord has provided for us in the past, over the past year, in the past years of our lives, how that the Lord is providing for us, and how that we have promises in God's Word that the Lord will provide for us in the new year and going forward. I'm going to share a personal experience. I hope Brother Farrington's okay with this. But in visiting with them yesterday, both he and uh, Mr. Bob that used to work with him, was sharing that when, uh, when he fell outside, that uh, he tried to convey to Sister Farrington to, to go and get some help at the neighbor. And with her limitations in being able to communicate, she kind of went back and forth. But the neighbor uh, who they went to the house to get help from was actually in Florida. And the neighbor had uh, on his door and uh, on his phone uh, something similar to the ring that many of you might have. And he also could see what was going on out in the yard around his house and Brother Farrington's house. And so the neighbor knew that there was a problem. He knew that something was wrong, probably from Sister Farrington going back and forth and then from seeing Brother Farrington. Brother Farrington fell in the yard, and so he called 911 from Florida. And 911 said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I don't know. I'm a thousand miles away. But all I know is there's a problem and they need help. And you need to send somebody to help them. And so pretty soon, fairly soon, the ambulance came and helped Brother Farrington, helped his family, and took care of him. Brother Farrington said, I wonder who it was that impressed him to do that. Brother Farrington knows it was the Lord. The Lord's provided for Brother and Sister Farrington now 96 years. He's told me other stories about how that God's provided for him. And what a testimony that is. So, John Newton wrote this song, who also wrote Amazing Grace. Great song. Great lessons in this song. It's hymn number 596 in our book. Great song. We'll look at it. John Newton wrote this song for a particular worship service that they were having at the church that he was pastoring. I'll read the song. has a great meaning to it. Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide, the promise assures us that the Lord will provide. The birds without garner or storehouse are fed. From them let us learn to trust God for our bread. His saints, what is fitting, shall ne'er be denied. So long as tis written, the Lord will provide. When Satan assails us to stop up our path, and courage all fails us, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft he has tried, the heart-cheering promise that the Lord will provide. No strength of our own, no goodness we claim, Yet since we have known of the Savior's great name, 
In this our strong tower, for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. Genesis chapter 22. There is uh, one of the definitions of our Lord. He's described as Jehovah Jireh. And if you look up the meaning of Jehovah Jireh, it simply means that God will provide. Genesis chapter 22. I don't fully understand this experience right here. And I expect that every parent would have the same struggle in understanding this story. I understand what it's supposed to mean. I understand the outcome. But I don't know how that Abraham did what he did. And maybe your faith is stronger than mine and maybe you can understand and maybe you can relate to but I have a little bit of a problem with this chapter not the chapter itself not the characters but understanding how that a father could do what Abraham did right here we'll read it it says and as it came to pass in after these things that God did tempt Abraham now first of all God is not tempting Abraham to sin. That's not the temptation that he's referring to right here. What he is saying right here is that God, who is all sovereign, who's in control, who knows all things. For some reason, God saw it necessary not to tempt Abraham to sin, but to try the faith of Abraham. Maybe it was to encourage you and I years later. Maybe it was to strengthen the faith of Abraham. Maybe it was to show that he was sovereign. I'm not sure why God did this the way he did. I'm just being honest. Maybe you understand it. I have difficulty. But it says that God did tempt Abraham. He tried the faith of Abraham. And he comes down to say that Abraham... Abraham passed the test. I don't know if I would pass that test. And for those of you that have these little ones, I think that you'll be able to understand and relate to what I'm saying right here. This was a tremendous test of Abraham's faith. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham walked with God. And no doubt, Abraham had a close walk with the God, with God that many of us would desire and delight to have. But look at what it says right here. He says, and God did tempt Abraham. He tried the faith of Abraham. And he said to Abraham, and Abraham said, behold, here I am. And here's where it begins to get uh, challenging. And he said to Abraham, take now thy son. You take thine only son, Isaac. Now he had another son, but he's talking about the one that he was chosen of the Lord that he loved, that he had a heart for in a special way. He says, take thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. So God, God knows everything. He knew the degree of love that Abraham had for his son, Isaac. And yet God says to Abraham, he says, get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there 
for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell thee of. So God is trying the faith of Abraham in, in not asking him, not pleading with him, but instructing Abraham to take his son whom he loves and to offer him as a sacrifice upon the mountain. Now, it doesn't tell us all the thoughts that were going through Abraham's mind. I have my own thoughts. You probably have your own thoughts. You probably are thinking, am I understanding what God is saying right here? Maybe I'm confused. Maybe God doesn't really mean this. I, I, don't, I don't really understand. Or surely God wouldn't put this on me to do. I, I can't, it doesn't tell us all the thoughts that Abraham had. It tells us a few, but not all of them. It says, and he says, go up to the mountain and offer your son as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And it's interesting right here. It shows the obedience of Abraham and it shows the faithfulness of Abraham. And it reiterates the relationship that Abraham had with God. It says the next morning, Abraham rose up early in the morning. I think that's something that we should consider and take heed to. God instructs us to do things early on. Abraham probably rose up early in the morning. And one of the reasons that he rose up early in the morning is he might have thought, if I put this off a little bit, I'm not sure that I'll go forward and do what God has told me to do. He said right here, Abraham rose up early in the morning. He saddled his ass and he took two of his, he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he took the wood for the burnt offering and he rose up and he went to the place which God had told him. So Abraham was following what God had told him to do. No matter how massive this undertaking was, no matter whether Abraham agreed with God or not, no matter whether Abraham thought it was the right thing to do with his son, he followed what God said for him to do. I don't know about you, but I'd begin to have some doubts right here. I'd begin to have some doubts about myself and say, am I sure that I'm understanding what God would have me to do right here? It says Abraham rose up early in the morning. He took two men with him. He took the wood for the burnt offering. It says, and he took his son, and it says that he went to the place that God had told him to go. Then it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. So interestingly right here, that this was not a short journey, but it was at least a three days journey, if not before that. Now, I don't know about you, but if God had called me to offer my son... And I was making a three-day journey. There's probably some doubts that would have popped up along the way. I might have had some second thoughts about doing that. But look at the faith of Abraham. And more so, look at the obedience of Abraham. Abraham couldn't. God had not. God didn't give Abraham the rest of the story right here. God didn't tell Abraham what the end of the story would be. At this point... 
Abraham is following the instruction of God to the degree of understanding and light that he has, but trusting that God was going to make a way or provide for him all the way along. Look at what it says right here. It says, and Abraham said to the young men that were with them. I have thoughts about why he said this. He said, Abraham said to the young men that were with him, to the two young men that were there, Abraham looking afar off and seeing the the place that he's to go and offer the sacrifice, the offering. It says that Abraham told the young men, he said, you abide here. And he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And then he says something else that does give us some of the uh, uh, some of insight to the faith that Abraham had. He told the young men, he says, you stay right here. I'm going to go and my son's going to go and we're going to offer the sacrifice. Abraham knew that the sacrifice that he was told to offer from God was his son. Basically, the life of his son. Abraham knew that as he was making this journey. But look what Abraham says right here, because I think this is this is encouraging. And and this should encourage us that maybe when we don't understand the rest of the story or God has not revealed to us what the rest of the story is, we should go forward trusting God with the understanding and the light that we have, no matter where we are at that point in life. God may not show us the rest of the story like he had not shown this to Abraham. But we ought to have the faith that Abraham had right here because this is what Abraham said. He told the men that were there that were going along with them. He said, you wait right here while I and the lad go up. He says, I and the lad will go up yonder and we will worship. And then he says something right here. And come again unto you. So Abraham, while he was on this journey, no doubt he was talking to the Lord. No doubt he was praying to the Lord. No doubt he was asking the Lord along the way, Lord, could you make another way other than offering my son as a sacrifice? No doubt Abraham had a close fellowship and walk with the Lord as he was making this journey. I also think... It very well may be. This is in the book of suppositions, if you will. Brother Stephen's book of suppositions. That's how I might interpret this. But I also think that it may be that the reason that he told the two to stay there while he went up to worship is he probably didn't want others to talk him out of it. He probably didn't want those others to oppose him as he was going up to offer that sacrifice. He probably knew that if he got up there to offer his son Isaac, that there'd be some resistance by those that were going along. And therefore, Abraham told them to stay where they were while he says, I and the lad will go up yonder. And then he says, and I think he says this by faith because God had not revealed this to him yet, but he said it by faith. He said, we'll return. I and the lad will return. Now, how is it that... He and the lad are going to return when God had told him to go up and offer his son as a sacrifice. Abraham knew something that we ought to know. 
Abraham knew that God, who has all power, if he did sacrifice his son, he had the power to raise him up again. He did. He also knew that God had the power and the ability to make another way, which he did. Let's look at what happens. Now it gets pretty pretty tough, pretty descriptive right here. He told the two young men to stay there. I and the lad will go up yonder. We'll offer the sacrifice. We'll worship, but we'll come again unto you. That's encouraging. And Abraham, it says, he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it upon his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they both went up together. Now, interesting right here. Abraham was an old man when his son was born. Abraham is a very old man here. And no doubt his son Isaac could have overpowered his father. Isaac, a young man, strong, able-bodied, Abraham, an old man. His son could have overpowered him. So it also shows... It gives us an insight to the submissiveness and the willingness even of Isaac himself to go along with his dad. Look at what it says. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it upon his son Isaac and he took the knife. It says he took the, the fire in his hand and he took a knife and they both went up together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and he said, My father... And he said, here am I, Isaac asking Abraham. I think this is is interesting, the conversation that goes on right here between Abraham and Isaac. Isaac says to Abraham, he said, behold, he says, dad, I see the fire and I see the wood. But he says, where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, my son... God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went of them together. That had to be uh, a unique conversation between Abraham and his son Isaac. When Abraham knew that God had called him to offer his son as a sacrifice. It says that they came to the place... This is a tough verse. They came to the place which God had told him of. And it says, And Abraham built an altar there. And it says that he laid the wood in order. And then it says, and here's again where it shows the willingness and submission of his son Isaac. And it says he bound his son Isaac. He laid the wood in order. And it says he bound his son Isaac. No doubt Isaac could have overpowered him if he had chosen to do that. But Isaac went willingly and submissively to the instruction of his father. It says that he bound Isaac his son. And he laid his son upon the altar upon the wood. Now, Abraham had to have a close walk with God to be able to do that. Abraham had to know that God was calling him to do what he was doing. 
Abraham also knew and was praying that God would make another way. But Abraham was willing to do what God had told him to do. And the next one. I'm sorry, I don't understand it. Maybe you do. It says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Now maybe you can explain that to me. I don't understand it. Understand Abraham was faithful to do what God had told him to. And then look what happened. And it says, as he had taken the knife to slay his son, it says, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord called out unto him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. As he took the knife, his son was bound. The altar was there with the wood to offer the sacrifice of his son. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do now. He says, neither, neither do it. He says, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything upon him. For now I know, and this is the, the lesson that he's talking about right here. And the, the point that he wants to drive home for us. He says, now I know, Abraham. This is the angel of the Lord talking to him. He says, now I know that thou fearest God. You fear God greater than you fear man. You fear God and you desire to be obedient to God above everything else. And he says, now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Abraham took probably what was God was taking what was the, the greatest uh, uh, desire that Abraham had was to have the relationship with, with Isaac. And God was tempting or trying the faith of Abraham. But look at what happens right here. The angel said, now I know that you uh, fear God, that you're willing to offer your son. And it says, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he beheld behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went up and he took the ram. And it says that he offered up the ram. He offered up the ram as the sacrifice in the stead of his son. And it says that Abraham then took and named the very spot and the very place that he was. And he named it Jehovah Jireh. Meaning, the Lord will provide. That was a memorial. That was a place of remembrance. That was a benchmark that Abraham could look back upon his life and see how that God had provided in a very, very difficult time. In a very hard situation. God provided a way for Abraham and Abraham recognized the spot and he said, this spot 
is going to be named. This spot is going to be a hallowed spot. This spot is going to be a place of remembrance named Jehovah Jireh, meaning God hath provided. No doubt Abraham could look back upon his life, the rest of his life, and see that very experience that he had right there. And no doubt it strengthened the faith of Abraham as he looked back upon that experience that God had provided that way of escape. God had provided another sacrifice to offer in place of his son Isaac that God had provided. Jehovah Jireh. You can claim that principle as you look back upon not only last year, but all the years of your life that God hath provided. And no doubt there are maybe not the same benchmarks that Abraham had. But no doubt there's experiences in your life that you can go back and you can name places and spots in your life, memorials to say, right here's a place that God provided and made a way for me. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. I love this. I love all of chapter 1. Chapter 2, real, real good. But it says, Paul is talking to the Ephesian brethren right here and he says... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. God hath blessed you. God hath provided for you. You look back upon your life. And you see how many places in your life, like Brother Farrington recognized this last week, how that God provided. You look back upon your life and you can see that God hath provided for you. It says he hath provided. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then he goes down and he talks about uh, the, the sovereignty of God and salvation and election. Such a great example right there. Another, another place where it talks about uh, where God hath provided for us. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, Paul, I mean Peter, is, is an apostle of Christ and he's, he's writing this to the folks. It says, grace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says again right here, as Paul said to the Ephesian brethren, he said, according as his divine power hath given us all things. So God hath provided for us. God hath given us all things, he says, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and to virtue, which by are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises by these that ye might be partakers of the divine nature. He said, God hath provided for us all things that we stand in need of. I like, we'll grab one Old Testament scripture right here. David uh, gives this example right here in Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. 
chapter 37, verse 24-25. David writes this psalm. He said, um, Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. You can go over into 2 Corinthians and see where he talks about we'll be, we may be cast down but not destroyed. He says, Though we may uh, be cast down, he says, The Lord upholdeth them with his hand. And then he says, David says something right here. He said, I have been young and now I'm old. But he said, there's something that I've witnessed in my life. He said, when I look back upon my life, he said, at one time I was old, uh, young, now I'm old. And he said, now I look back upon my life. And he said, here's a principle that I found right here. He said, now that I'm old, I look back and he says, I have, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Basically saying right here. That when I look back over my life and I look at those that are around me and I look at the experiences of others and I consider my own experience. He said, I can say without a doubt that I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He just simply means God hath provided. So Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. But God hath provided for us. And as we look back upon our lives, we can look at the benchmarks of our life and that should encourage us going forward. No doubt this experience of Abraham was a great encouragement to him as as he went forward. In Matthew chapter 6, we've looked at how that God hath provided. And I'll I'll give you some verses you can go home and, and read as well. But not only has God provided in the past, but God is providing for us today. He's providing for us right now. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ delivers this message right here. And the perfect preacher delivering the perfect message he says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or uh, for your body of what you shall put on it. He says, is not life more than meat and body more than raiment? He says, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He's saying that God is providing for you right now. He doesn't mean that we fold our hands and we don't do anything. We do all that we know to do. We do all that we're instructed to do. We all do all that we have light to do. But ultimately, what he's saying right here is that it's ultimately God that provides for us. If you work, it's because you have the ability to work. God gave you that ability. If you have a job, God gave you the intellect and the insight to be able to do that job. Elder Compton used to describe it this way. He said, God gives us not only the desire, but God gives us the ability. So if you have the desire, if you have the ability, God gave it to you. So you just simply have to give him the glory for it. But he says right here, don't be overcome with with worry and despair. Because he says, it is God that takes care of you. He says... Don't be overcome with what you're going to eat or drink. He says, is not 
the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He says, behold, and he gives us the, he says, here's a little lesson that you can consider. He said, behold, the fowls of the air. He says, they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they garner into barns. But he says, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. He's just simply saying, just look at the birds of the air. Just consider how that God provides for them. And he says, are ye not much better than they? Simply means if God is going to provide for the fowls of the air, shouldn't we be convinced that God is going to provide for his children? So God is providing for us. He goes on down to say, he says, take no thought what you shall eat or drink. Wherewithal shall we be clothed? He says, really, if you're going to be concerned about something, he says, here's one thing you ought to be concerned about right here. He says that we should be concerned about this. Seeking first the kingdom of God. It says, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, basically, that if we're going to be concerned about something, don't be concerned about God providing for us. You do all that God has shown you to do. You do all that God gives you insight to do. But don't be concerned about God providing for you. He says, if you're going to be concerned about something, be concerned about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, if you're doing that, he says, all these other things shall be provided for you. He just simply says, you put your priority in seeking God first, and he'll take care of the rest of it right there. And then he says, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. He says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He just simply says right there, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got plenty to think about today in, in all that uh, you are taking on and dealing for today, Second Corinthians, Second uh, uh, Corinthians, chapter nine, another verse that Second Corinthians, chapter nine, uh, great verse right here. We saw how that God hath provided. We saw how that God is providing for the sparrows, and that He cares for us even more than the sparrows. It says that God is providing for us right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It said God is able. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He just simply says that God is able. That means right now in our life, God is providing for us. One more verse in Ephesians that reiterates how that God is providing for us. In Ephesians chapter 3. Look how God was providing. Now looking at how God is providing. Ephesians chapter 3. This is so good. He says something right here. He says that God is able to provide for you. And he says God is able to provide for you. Even far above what you can ask or think. So no matter how you think it needs to be, God's way of thinking is far better than that. 
Here's what he says. Now unto him that is able. That means right now. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. I like that. I I don't know if that's proper grammar. It's in the Bible, so it has to be. But I sure do like it. He says, now unto him that is able. That means right now. That is able to do exceeding abundantly. That just means a whole lot more. In, 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 in southern terminology, that just means more than you can even think or imagine. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That means the Holy Spirit that's on the inside. He says, unto him be glory unto the the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. He just simply says right here, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above. That's abundantly above all that it's interesting right here he says something right here he says he is able to do exceeding he says right now not down the road not in the past but right this minute he says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above and he says two things right here all that we would ask Sometimes we don't know what to ask for. Sometimes we ask for the wrong thing. Sometimes we say the wrong thing. Sometimes when we talk to God, we may not know what to ask for. It tells us that he knows our needs even before we ask. Aren't you glad that he does? But he says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even above what we think. He says his knowledge of providing for you is even far above what you might ask or what you might think that God's able to do that. Aren't you glad to know he knows our needs before we ask? That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says that we're to cast all of our cares upon him. Not some of them, but all of our cares upon him, for he careth for you. He says, cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. That just simply means right now, right now. So we'll end with one of uh, my favorite verses. These are several of these are our favorite verses right here. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. God has provided our needs in times past. We look back upon it. You're where you are today because God has provided for you. He's provided for you all of your journey. He's provided for Brother Farrington 96 years, for Sister Farrington 90 years. And if he lives to be 105, he'll provide for him all the way. God has provided for us. Not only has he provided for us, but he is providing for us. He's providing for you today. He's providing for the needs that you have, the struggles that you have. The challenges, the difficulties, the things that you struggle with, God is there to provide for you today. God knows your need before you ask. You might ask for the wrong thing. Thank goodness God doesn't give us always what we ask for. But God knows your need today and is providing for you today. Not only is Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide. Not only is it that the Lord hath provided in the past. Not only is it that God is providing for you today, right now, but we're told 
that God is going to provide for you going forward. I love this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. This is a promise. That songwriter, John Newton, when he wrote the song, The Lord Will Provide, he wrote it based on the principles of the Scriptures that God has provided, God is providing, and God will provide. And here's what he says. Love this verse right here. Paul says, I've learned some things in my life. He talks about in the chapter 4, great chapter right here. He says, I've, I've learned. He says, not that I speak in respect of one. I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. I, I know how to be abased. means trouble, in prison, struggling. I know how to abound. I know how to handle when God blesses. He says, everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and hungry. I can abound and do suffer need. He says, and I love this verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Then he comes down and he says in verse 19, we see how that God has provided for us. We see how that God is providing for us. And we see here in this verse how that God has promised to provide for us going forward. So as long as you live here in this life, no matter how many years God blesses you with, you can claim this promise right here. He says, and this is Paul saying this. Paul said, I've learned some things. And he said, here's one of the things I've learned. And he says, I want you to have this promise as well. He says, but my God, he claimed him as his God. But he's also telling you that he's your God too. He says, my God and your God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. I'm reminded so many times of Sister Elsie Evans, dear old sister, 84 years old, went home to be with the Lord. And she told me before she passed away, she said, I look back upon my life. God did not provide me all my wants, but God provided me all my needs. That's the testimony that every single one of us can claim. That God provides all of our needs. And doesn't he provide our needs far above what we deserve or what we can imagine or what we can ask? That's because he's God. We shouldn't be surprised. Here he says something, and there's, a, there's, there's two or three principles that I'll just touch on right here. This is a great verse. But my God, Paul is saying... My God shall supply all of your need. He, I know he supplies mine. Now I'm convinced God's going to supply your need. And then he says, and this is really, really good. I might have a desire to help you, but I might not have the ability to do it. I might not have the knowledge. I might not have the energy, the power. I might not have what it takes to be able to help you. Your friends may want to help you. Your parents may want to help you. They may want to help you. But there's some things that they can't help you with. They don't have, they have limitations. You know, I'd like for everybody to get well. I'd like to go to the hospital and, and folks get well, and some folks do. Uh, I'd like for things to go smoother for folks. But I don't have the ability to make that happen. But God does. Look what he says right here. Paul says, but my God shall supply. And you, you, you might want to underline this little three-letter word right here. 
He says, my God shall supply a little three-letter word, A-L-L. That encompasses everything that you need. He says, my God shall supply all, A-L-L, all your need. And then he says something right here that's really, really special. He says, my God shall supply all of your need according to, not your ability, not the ability of the people around you, not the ability of, 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 of the world that you're living in, but he says, my God shall supply all of your need according to the riches in glory. That's the resource for your needs. Heaven itself, grace, God's glory. It's right at his fingertips. He is the author of it. He's the sustainer of it. So whatever need you have, your needs are supplied directly from heaven by God. And it's, it's without limitation. God will supply all your needs. And Paul was convinced of this. And he said, I want you to be convinced of this. That my God, not only has he provided your needs, not only is he providing your needs, my God shall supply your needs according to his riches in glory. By Jesus Christ. He's the author of it. He's the administrator of it. He is the one that that uh, administers it. He's the one that rations it out, that gives it to us. We couldn't handle all of the grace that, that's in heaven. If he gave us a, a great big dose of it, he gives us more than we deserve. He gives us exactly what we need. And he's there for us in each and every phase of our life. No matter what we face, what we challenge, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, will provide. He will. So looking back over 2020, whatever this year is, one, two, whatever, uh, three, I don't, I don't even know right now. That's pretty bad. But anyway, it, uh, whatever year we're, we were in or still in right now, God's provided our needs. But in the new year to come, I think it's 24. Uh, I, I can assure you that God is going to provide whatever needs that each one of us have. The Lord will provide. God bless you.